Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Andy Montgomery. He is CEO of HDCS. We're going to learn about what they're doing in the cannabis industry, particularly on the finance side, on the banking side. Obviously, a big issue, a big topic in cannabis is how to bank, how to deal with uh, the money side of it. Money, money, managing money between folks is a little complicated given the fact that we are still, unfortunately, declared an illegal business from a federal point of view that puts a bunch of wrinkles in sort of normal course of business operations. And so we're going to learn about what Andy and his company are doing to help that, help cannabis companies solve some of those problems, manage some of those things appropriately so that we can conduct business. And uh, I'm excited to talk about this as a, a fascinating kind of angle or a fascinating facet of cannabis. And I love getting into the details. So with that, Andy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of background. Let's get, get to know you first. How sure. you, you know, what was your professional background? How did you get in cannabis? There's always an interesting story there, I find. Give me a little background, then we can dig into the topic. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try not to get too nerdy with how I got into cannabis, but, you know, because there's very few 
subject matter experts we're finding that are subject matter experts on banking and the bud. So I just happened to be one and learned on the bud side, uh, learned and trained on the banking side. But I was, I'm a career banker, uh, really said 25 years as an executive in the banking industry. That includes starting a couple of banks from the ground up. So De Novo Banks, one in Utah and one in California. And that sounds more glamorous than it is. It's like starting any small business and you have to uh, be a jack of all trades. Uh, we started our first bank with eight people. So I'm the one who wrote all the policies, procedures, control systems, all that stuff, including doing all the business development, things like that. So really kind of grew up from the ground up and ran those banks as CEO for a number of years, which really gives me firsthand understanding of risk management at the bank yeah. standpoint and regulation. I've dealt with the FDIC, OCC, host of regulators over my career. Then uh, went to uh, BBVA Bank, which is a big Spanish bank, about 600, 700 billion in assets out of Madrid. They had bought a bank in Alabama called Compass Bank, which had bought a bunch of community banks and went out there to be one of their CEOs of the community banks in Texas. And it was kind of an odd amalgorithm of thinking about banking of the future, which the Spanish are clearly doing. I mean, they're ahead of the game and digitizing their operations, but at the same time managing some operations that were vintage 1950s, 1960s in their technology and their approach. So I would manage kind of the operations by day. We'd go into Houston, which is the headquarters of the bank in reality, and we'd try and figure out what banking looked like in the future. And at that time, I was really thinking about almost a post-banking world where you had ecosystems, financial ecosystems that just use technology to move money around and to conduct commerce. And I believe that is still the way of the future. And cannabis is obviously an untouched ecosystem financially. So you're not replacing one because most of the cannabis industry has been outside the financial services system for the most part or Mm -hmm. not felt comfortable in it. And ultimately, that drove me to try and provide solutions for the cannabis industry. Yeah. And so give us a a little bit of primer on, from a banking point of view, why does cannabis get a little complicated? And kind of practically, what does it mean for cannabis businesses when you go to think about banking and think about banking solutions? Yeah, it it is complicated for a number of different reasons. So let's just start from a reputation issue for the banks. And you got to put yourself in the mind of board members and management where they're not always educated that two-thirds of voters actually support recreational cannabis legalization. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the board members are are not geared to understand that. So they think, wow, we're going to get into the weed business and we're going to be banking drug dealers. Yeah, exactly. So so that education has to occur at the boardroom. But beyond that, then there's risk management elements inside the bank that are real that they need to address, primarily surrounding anti-money laundering and bank secrecy. I think the anti-money laundering can be dealt with more easily than the Bank Secrecy Act, which really, uh, because we've got so much of, someone called it the other day, I'm going to hang on to this term, the traditional trade versus the legal and compliant Mm -hmm. trade. So they're side by side and sometimes hard to distinguish from one another. And the banks 
can't bank the traditional trade. So if they get caught banking someone who's not legal and compliant, that is, there are big consequences for the bank. They get put in the regulatory penalty box and it's a big hill to climb to get out of it. And then same thing with money laundering. They can't have any illicit funds or non-tracked funds go through the banking system. That regulation has been strengthened over the last 20 years Um, Since I've been in the business, you know, primarily around the Patriot Act and terrorism, but as we've seen other elements enter the space, it is not an area where you want to find out you're on the wrong side of the regulator. So that risk from the bank has to be approached very carefully and thoughtfully. And why is this? I mean, these issues or or these concerns are spread across, I mean, any industry, it's not, we're not singling out cannabis per se. It's just because cannabis is declared an illegal substance federally, it, it, it garners additional scrutiny from a banking regulatory point of view. Is that? Yeah, that is certainly correct. I mean, but that's not it in itself. I mean, so so right now, I mean, there's a lot of been, been a lot of progress moving forward, as you know, and on maybe not the Senate legalizing cannabis or cannabis banking. But for example, Jelena McWilliams, who's the chairwoman of the FDIC, is incorporated in every one of her speeches to tell her member banks that if they bank cannabis and follow the existing guidance out there, they're going to be okay with their regulators. That's a huge statement. While she can't endorse it, that's as close as she can come to say, go ahead and do it as long as you put the proper systems in place. However, the, the bank's consideration still is really putting the right systems in place so you can distinguish between the illegal and the legal cannabis companies or the non-compliant cannabis companies. So most banks don't know where to start, and that's really where we come in into to play is to help them jumpstart those programs so they can vet the appropriate cannabis. Because if you look at it, there are a lot of high-risk depositors out there for banks, casinos, jewelers, places where people generally money launder. Yeah. But none of those has the illicit component that cannabis has. Yeah. And that's right alongside the traditional or the legal and compliant component. Got it. And so who are your customers? Who do you serve? Who do you look to help? What is the problem that you solve? How do you solve it? Yeah. So we solve for the banks um, being able to go into the cannabis space from a number of different places. So putting together the policies, procedures, risk assessments, whole apparatus that they'll need to even start to address cannabis how they look at it, how they put the resources in place. So that's where we start from the banks. Then we move over and help them vet and um, vet and make sure that their cannabis-related businesses are compliant with local and state laws. We follow, we're following something like 1,500 changes in the laws all the time. So we can help them with that subject matter expertise, go in and help them vet. And then also help them monitor, help them do audits on the cannabis companies, and help them create a reporting system and a track record for the regulators so that when they go in, they can understand how the bank has managed the program and put the system of controls. So our client, to your questions, are the banks primarily, although we will work with the cannabis-related businesses too and actually ultimately deliver vetted cannabis companies to banks uh, because the other challenge banks have is how to market to cannabis 
companies. Um, sure. Most of them are not going to want to put, and when I say banks, I mean all financial institutions. Most of them are not going to want to put banners on their their branches saying <laughs> "We love weed." Yeah, exactly. uh, so we welcome so, weed. Yeah, and most financial institutions are really not good marketers. So yeah. we're we're trying to help them deliver the clients and. So we can we offer a whole different slew of services in cannabis and hemp, depending on what the bank's requirements are. Generally, we like to say we're trying to save the bank three, four, five bodies in a net cost effective and make profitable critical mass programs for them. And I, I guess you know banks have a lot of potential industries that they can do banking for. When a banking business looks at all these industries. What's attractive about the cannabis industry? What's not attractive about the cannabis industry? Like, how, how do you help them size this up? Yeah, well, I think so. Banks are going to go. So if we look at, you know, the $20 billion in legal cannabis revenue that is going through the system, it's going somewhere into banks. That's great liquidity for the banks. And that low cost liquidity or even a negative cost of funds is huge for the banks. Now, with COVID, banks are sitting on more liquidity than they've had but if you went back to this time last year or even a little bit farther, banks were a lot of banks were stretched for liquidity or deposits. So they couldn't continue to lend without bringing in higher cost deposits. So from those banks to bringing in low cost liquidity that because it's all cash primarily from the mm-hmm. cannabis business is a boon and very profitable. Banks do need to charge for this because there's a higher level of compliance. They need to make some money. But banks that look at this and want to be early movers, it's got huge benefits because it is an additional profit center in a time where COVID may have impaired some of their other sources of profit, You know, yeah. especially if they've been in commercial, the commercial marketplace, Main Street marketplace. And they're going to get very loyal, sticky customers that they can sell two, three, four products to that are not going to pivot to the next shiniest bank for a quarter, you know, off a rate or something like that because they've been shut outside. What they're, what most cannabis businesses are looking for is permanent, loyal and helpful bankers out there. And that's not been the tradition so far in the industry. Yeah. And what, I mean, what are the fee differences? Because I know that, yes, there are additional reporting requirements. There's a, there's a heavier load on the bank to bank cannabis businesses. But what do these really kind of practically end up being, you know, as a percentage or a, a multiple of normal kind of banking fees? Yeah, I think, you know, what we target our bank or financial institution clients is to add additional 100 basis points or 1% of interest rate spread. So that's the additional of what they normally get on their deposit portfolio. And right now that means really a negative cost of funds. So there'll be some fees to the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. But anything above that is not sustainable for the cannabis industry and not sustainable when we get to safe banking, in our opinion. You know, there there are pricing mechanisms all over the place. And anything that's too cheap is not sustainable because... The, the federal regulation is ultimately going to be written and scrutiny is going to come down on all financial institutions from the federal regulators, not just those that are banking cannabis. But if you say you're not banking cannabis, the federal regulators are going to want to know 
that you really know that they're not in the in the system. And we're finding more and more financial institutions that are doing audits and finding out that they're actually making cannabis. <laughs> surprise, Yeah, surprise. that's a dirty little secret. It's right. like, I, I, and then they it's, don't, because they haven't put the systems in place, they don't know if it's legal and compliant cannabis or if it's a guy pulling up a van and, and loading cash, you know, yeah. um, into an ATM or, or a system. So that's the real challenge for financial institutions. They really can't ignore it. It's interesting. So it's not, I mean, this isn't just for banks that decide that they want to bank cannabis and, and then they would engage you to kind of figure out how to do it. It's really any bank needs to do this because at some point every bank is potentially banking cannabis that they just not know it. In cannabis rich states, yes, we believe that to be true. Yeah. We're finding it we're right more than we're wrong by large margin. <laughs> and then banks have a dilemma as to what they do about it. So there's three types of financial institutions that we run into. Those that say we're never going to bank cannabis, not now, not ever. Mm-hmm. And then the challenge is if you're going to make that risk policy statement, you better live up to it because the regulators, if they find it and you don't find it and deal with it, then you're going to have issues. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of banks that are out there that say, we want to get ready to bank cannabis when we have a safe banking act. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're dipping their toe into hemp and saying, look, we want to see how that goes. And then we will we'll pivot to cannabis to marijuana mm-hmm. at some point. And then then we're finding more and more banks and are now saying, look, we want to be early movers in this space because we are still early. I mean, there's there's a lot of room for growth here. Yeah. And so we want to be early movers. Help us get there. Yeah. And I mean, how much of this is really state by state? I mean, I, I guess give me a sense of is this really only a factor in the states that have legal adult use? Is this any program? How are you kind of seeing the state-by-state kind of map developing? Yeah, I mean, I think adult use is where you're going to find more cannabis inside banks where they don't really have, they don't have a handle on it. Uh, Medical use is more confined. So, but we're seeing huge growth in Oklahoma, obviously. um, And that's been kind of an amazing growth story. But, you know, it depends on the state. So if you look at the states that went recreational first, like Colorado or Washington, the the market's more mature and most of the cannabis businesses have been absorbed and is has some semi-permanent banking relationship. You go out to California, it's a different story. Nevada, it's a different story. And these new states that are coming online, certainly a different story. So you know, we're we're far from anything that looks like maturity in the banking industry. We still don't have any sort of adequate lending or leverage component and broad array of financial services. So the opportunities are ahead of us and not behind us. Yeah. And what are some of those services? I mean, I know we, we talk a lot about merchant services and the issues yeah. there in, in cannabis for transactions. What are some of the things that these banks are, are looking at providing or, or could provide once they kind of figure out how to effectively bank cannabis yeah, businesses? So, so, so we look at it. If you can provide the funnel, right, and, and make sure that you've got vetted compliant cannabis businesses and that you've verified the source of their funds, you can bring a lot of financial services to play mortgages for the owners and and the the staff which are kind of been cut out you can bring uh, investments uh, insurance escrow title you name it from a financial services uh, and then the big component is commercial lending because there's it's hard to grow businesses without leverage it takes a lot longer And the challenge there for banks is they can't be in the cannabis business. So 
if they lend to, say, a grower and it goes bad, they can't take back those crops and they can't take the products from the dispensaries and the manufacturers. So there's got to be an intermediary, which we're working on, HDCS is working on, to stand in the place to be willing to take back that product that is not the bank. And so that'll create some leverage opportunities. Same thing with commercial real estate. It is... Uh, it is usurious in a lot of ways in some of the rates that in terms that are yeah. being out there. I don't think that needs to be the case, but we need more banks in the marketplace to financial institutions in the marketplace to provide some liquidity in that regards. So, so more competition on the banking side will help. That's right. Rent, yeah. It's been a, a primarily more. private lending and, and they're getting pretty good returns on their, those loans. So yeah. more than a commercial bank ever would. I'm curious, what does it really take? So you come in, you look at the policies, procedures, you look at, you know, being able to verify what where these funds are coming from and that they're, you know, not problematic. I mean, how do you actually do this? Like, what is the work that you actually do when you go into the bank? Is it standard operating procedures? Is it technology? Is it, what are the things that you do with the banks? All of the above. And so, I mean, this is where the advantage of having started a, a bank, a couple of banks is that mm-hmm. I know every as- facet of what the banks look like. I know the core systems. I know the teller systems. I know, you know, the bank's uh, secrecy. So you, but you have to start with the foundation is what we always say. And that's policies and procedures. Cannabis requires specific policies and procedures, risk assessment, an evaluation of your enterprise risk management program so that you can identify the resources that your particular bank needs. That includes an assessment of your technology whether you can use your existing technology, adapt, or going to need additional technology, who you're going to have in charge of the program, what sort of bank secrecy oversight you're going to have, officer oversight, how you're going to handle the deposit. So you're going to have it just come over the retail transit. We don't recommend that. So it requires thinking about all those programs up front. We find the worst situations for banks that are trying to do this in an ad hoc way that all of a sudden let's just stick our toe in the water and not give it a thoughtful and intentional approach because that's going to wind up biting them in our view from a regulatory standpoint. So then you, that's where we started to help the bank. Um, we built a whole virtual content library for banks to jumpstart this. So it can go on and we can tour the bank, everything from policies and procedures to risk assessments to audit, vetting the cannabis companies to monitoring to reporting up through the board management. Again, we're following all the laws. And so we can give the bank that subject matter expertise or be the subject matter expert for the bank. So it's kind of a soup to nuts program. And then it really goes down to appropriate vetting of the cannabis companies and auditing of the cannabis companies and then monitoring on the deposits of your inflows versus their track and trace programs and making sure that they match up and you're doing the appropriate reporting as required by the FinCEN guidance and any any future guidance, by the way, because the regs have not yet been written yet. And that's the one thing we always tell the banks is until Congress acts and gives the federal regulators a mandate to write the rules, we're still in unknown territory. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious on the cannabis company side. If if you're uh, you know running a cannabis business, what are the things that you need to do you know operationally from a reporting from a controls point of view to be able to 
then meet the bank's requirements in, in terms of information and, and verification of funds and things like that? Like, what, what do you need to do operationally? It's a great question. And so the good news is if you're legal and compliant, you're already halfway there or three quarters of the way there, right? Because most of the states have put an apparatus and they're already living in a culture of compliance. So they should have a track and trace program. If they don't, that's going to be problematic. They mm-hmm. should have a system that they are indicating and showing that they're complying with all the local and state laws. So there's licensing requirements, which helps the bank vet the cannabis companies. So if you're legal and compliant, you can get a banking relationship. You're there. It's just a matter of conforming to what the bank wants in in terms of you to report and be audited and go through that vetting process. So I think that when you're in the gray area, that becomes a more difficult area. And those companies, for example, in California that aren't illegal, but they're not legal. And so they have to really, to get into the banking world permanently, take that step to full legality and compliance. And so that unfortunately means paying taxes and, uh, you know, making sure that 100% of your product is accounted for through the system. Yeah. How about some of these uh, ancillary products and services? I mean, I, I, the one I always kind of I'm curious about is like labs, you know, like testing labs. Like, do they fall under this? Like, do they end they up do. running in banking problems? Like, what's what are the, some of these, you know, companies that, you know, don't they're not touching the plant <laughs> from a sideways point of view? Like, how do you deal with some of those companies? Well, yeah, you know, a lot of people were under the false notion if they didn't touch the plant, they would be okay from the banking. And a lot of them have found out otherwise. So it all depends on the bank. It all depends on the state. So you've there's three tiers, right? There's those that touch the plant directly. There's those that are the ancillary services, tier two that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's th- tier three. I just may be a lawyer with a large cannabis practice. Mm-hmm. All three tiers is, have had problems with sustainable banking relationships. Some of those have been resolved better than others. But I still talk to lawyers today that that say, look, I man, man, I finally have a bank for a year. And I'm like, well, you're a lawyer. I mean, so it's, you know, but you're getting paid in cash. And if I'm a commercial real estate owner, right, and I've got a tenant that's cannabis, I go and start depositing cash in the bank. And the bank gets funny about that. So mm-hmm. it's all part of the the primary issue is the identification that all of a sudden the banks who don't know exactly what to do, then they make a decision that is a lot of times arbitrary and capricious and bounce one of those clients out. And so then they're scrambling to look for a banking relationship, move their payroll. And it's a challenge to keep moving banks. So so all three tiers have had issues. Uh, Tier one clearly has the most acute issue, but tier two is not far behind. And that includes labs and testing facilities facilities and extracts and uh, extracts actually touch the plant, but it's uh, the, you know, everything that's associated. And we've got a ton of them up in Colorado and Northern Colorado that I talk to all the time. And, yeah. you know, some of them have migrated to Canada, you know, they re- they could and because they don't have a retail presence, they have re-domesticated oh, to Canada for their headquarters. They still have facilities here, but they're, the banking goes through Canada. Oh, interesting. It's kind of one of the ways around it. Yeah. Um, 
And where do you see, I mean, I guess you alluded to the fact that there's some, there's been some legislation, some attempts to kind of change things, correct things. Where, where do you see this going, you know, in the coming months, quarters, years here as we, uh, you know, as, as we try to reform banking or we try to, you know, bring in some banking policies that are going to work for cannabis? Well, let me give the most optimistic in terms of safe banking. Safe banking is easier than legalizing cannabis, which is really complicated. So safe banking passed the House twice by overwhelming margins. The first time just in its own bill last year, I think 300 to something, 100, I can't remember, but it was that much of a a bipartisan support, which the House never passes anything like that. (laughs) It's got the votes in the Senate, but it's being held up by two people, Mitch McConnell and uh, Mike Crapo, who is the head of the Senate Banking Committee. That's unlikely to change this year. It was in the House's latest COVID relief bill, And I said early on, I said, it could slip through maybe if you don't hear the Republicans and the the far right in the Senate start to seize on it saying, look, they're throwing cannabis weed into this bill. That's exactly what they've done. So it's not assuming the Senate acts on a a COVID relief bill, which is a big assumption. Cannabis safe banking will not be in it. So that means it's dead for this year. Now, we're in an interesting election this year, which is hard to predict. And so there is a distinct possibility that we could change administrations and the Senate could flip. If so, safe banking will be one of the, in my view, will be one of the bills that comes off the deck in the first quarter of a new administration and a new Senate. And I know that Joe Biden is not a huge supporter of cannabis, but law enforcement's behind it. The state and local governments need the tax revenue so banks can help make it compliant and taxed. So all of a sudden, I think that that dam's going to give way with the new head of the Senate Banking Committee and majority leader if the Senate should change hands. If not, I mean, it's still inevitable. We've had now, I can't remember how many attorney generals from states across the United States, yeah. is it 20 or something, uh, have written letters because they see it as a law enforcement issue. There's just, they do not have the resources to crack down on and distinguish between the illegal and the legal. And one of the ways they can do that is those that trade in cash or if they're illegal. And if we have those that are compliant legal in the banking system, that's a good way to distinguish between the two. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, I think it's 30. 39 state treasurers. Um, I mean, I may have that backwards actually that have, or there's an extraordinary amount of state treasurers that say, give us the tools in the banking world so we can collect the taxes and that we anticipated from this program. Yeah. So that's a lot of pressure bearing down on Washington. So, you know, to me, safe banking is just a matter of time. You can't put the cork back in the bottle on cannabis and, you know, to really maximize the enforcement of it and the revenue from it, you're going to have to put it in the banking. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to happen. Andrew, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about the company, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, they can reach out to me directly at a.montgomery at hdcompliance.com. That's a.montgomery at hdcompliance.com. Our website is hdcompliance.com. So, My name is Andy Montgomery. You can find me on LinkedIn also and uh, happy to talk to anyone if they've got questions. Yeah, I'll make sure that the links, email and everything is in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. Thank you so much, Andy. Great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. 
You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.